So, as a young human, I obviously enjoyed a snack just as much as I do now. <laughs> Perhaps more so, if anything. And it was kind of after Christmas. We were at the grocery store. My grandma said, you can pick out a treat. And I was like, ooh, very exciting. The world is my oyster. What shall I get? <laughs> and then I thought to myself... One of those delicious chocolate oranges would be perfect right now, which is weird because I hate orange and I don't actually like those chocolate oranges now as an adult or even then, but I'd never had one and they looked pretty good. They're also very large. So like the bang for your buck in terms of a treat seems like a good choice as a child. Mm. Yes, that is a good point. Ah, young Emily, a genius, (laughs) except for unfortunately not a genius because I just went and picked up a baked potato that was like wrapped in foil and I was like, I would like this please. And my grandma's like, I'm not getting you a baked potato, you big old weirdo. I wish that she would have just followed the con and would have been like, sure, this is your treat. And then you went home and were like, smacked it on the table to open up the chocolate orange and it was just like a lukewarm baked potato so sad and i to this day am a little bit embarrassed about it (laughs) what did you get instead did you just not get a treat or did you find an actual chocolate orange i'm sure i figured something out but i don't think i got a chocolate orange and i think i just kind of like wandered off in dismay (laughs) like was and like i don't know where this comes from in my dna but like i was so embarrassed to the point where like i couldn't even look at my grandma for the rest of the day i was like i'm like six years old and too stupid to exist poor emily (laughs) anyways potatoes now as an adult probably would have been a delicious treat who doesn't fuck with a baked potato yes i mean but the best part of a baked potato is all the toppings so i don't like just the potato alone i don't know yeah i mean like i don't want a baked potato by itself but other kinds of potatoes by themselves just like french fries yeah or nugget potatoes or mashed potatoes Mm. those are all delicious Hmm. What is my favorite kind of potato? Oh, good question. You could have a tot. A tot oh, is always very I nice. I love a tot. What are the ones? Is it scallop potatoes? Yes. Those are fucking delicious. <laughs> mm. Most of the things that we seem to be enjoying involve a lot of fat or cream or cheese. So I don't want us to think, though, that the potato can't stand on its own. Because it can. Ah, Yeah. I would say I actually have a little bit more respect from a potato after doing this research. Ah, good to know. And that leads us to what are we talking about today on Pantry Staples, your fave podcast. Where we dish on your favorite foods. And I'm Emily. And I'm Marika. And we're talking about the Irish potato famine, or Marika will be. I will be sitting quietly. (laughs) Hopefully not too quietly. I'd like to hear your thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts on the potato famine. And I'm sure all of them are erroneous. Okay, well, do you want to start with that? Do you want to tell me what you, like, what your pre- prior knowledge of the potato famine? So, in my mind, I think I have a very Marie Antoinette understanding <laughs> of the potato famine, where I'm just like, there wasn't any potatoes? Seems insane. They were probably going to eat other things. Didn't they have, like, rodents they could eat? <laughs> I don't know, just let them eat whatever. That's how, that's what I understand about the potato famine. I don't understand. I think that's what a lot of people think of the potato famine. I think that's what I always thought. And I feel like that's part of the propaganda behind it all, maybe. Mm. Is it the Irish trying to confuse us? Is it the British trying to confuse us? British. Yeah, of course it it's is. It's always the British. <laughs> the British. British. Um, okay, well, should we just get the heck into it? Yeah, tell me what actually happened. I will. I guess I should pull up my notes. Okay, so the 
Irish Potato Famine, or the Great Hunger, or Gorta Moor, was a six to seven year long period between 1845 and then 1851 or two, kind of depending on what you're reading, um, in which the people of Ireland experienced mass starvation and disease. Hmm. I don't know why, but the fact that it's the Irish potato famine really gets me. It's like, as opposed to all the other potato famines that we had to deal with. Well, yeah, actually. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, So, okay, I'll get there. But basically, the suffering was generally worse in the West and South counties, where Mm. you will be shocked to know the population was poorer and mostly non-English speaking. The famine and the diseases brought with it um, are generally considered responsible for around 1.2 million deaths. Jesus. And the forced, question mark, emigration of about 2 million people. Oh, wow. Yeah. Something that's kind of interesting that I think I want to maybe come back to at the end is that, like, doing all this research, there were times, like, so much obvious bias, and then so many other articles pointing out how, like, all of the historical like documents about this is super biased and like why that's okay or not why it's okay or not yeah no it literally went read one article that's like yeah like everything's biased but like that's the only way to tell a history like you have to have the emotions in it you have to which i guess makes sense but fair but also i feel like that's a pretty bold stance to take <laughs> yes yes but i think it's also important and it makes sense because this is such a foundational aspect to like irish nationalism especially for all of those people that emigrated Mm. very true and it's like the number one thing you hear about ireland like you know about the potato famine that's it i don't know what else has gone on down there i guess like saint patrick getting rid of snakes i didn't even really know about that i swear my general knowledge is so minor (laughs) you have very specific heightened knowledge about a few specific things Even that, I don't know. I feel like I'm just kind of like floating, hoping for the best. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay, so let's get into it. What the heck happened? How could the failure of one crop cause all this damage and generational trauma? So to start, we're going to go back a few years before it all went down and take a look at what was going on in Ireland and like the United Kingdom in the mid 1800s. So first of all, Catholics are super disenfranchised and also make up about three quarters of the population of Ireland. And why, you might ask? Because the English penal laws of 1695 restricted a lot of things that Catholics could do, like, for example, get a job. Really? Yeah. This, like, it all goes back to, like... King Henry needing to get his dick wet? I mean, yes! (laughs) Like, yeah, the War of the Roses, and there's, like, the Cromwell stuff, and, like, all of Mm. this. I refuse to learn about Cromwell. Like, I know I know it, but I just refuse to acknowledge it because I find it so yucky. I just think of that, like, one movie from, like, the 70s where he has that ridiculous haircut. (laughs) And I haven't even seen the movie. It's just, like, the, like, oh, Cromwell with, like, the weird bowl cut. Hmm. Yes, that does track. (laughs) Hmm. Interesting. It's so interesting that you can have a population that's like 75% of the populace is Catholic and yet they're the disenfranchised one. Like, what a bold, bold choice. Yeah. I mean, I think then if you're going to start introspect, like, thinking about, like, all of the world and just like, yeah, like, how about how, like, like, most of the population is not rich and yet all of our laws support the super wealthy. Like, Mm -hmm. hmm. (laughs) hmm. 
that casual like meme that I read today that's like, hey, if we tax Jeff Bezos just like a really tiny little bit, nobody would have to pay for education or like healthcare or anything. But also that would ruin our dreams of what it might be like to be a millionaire. So we can't do that. Or yep. billionaire, I should say. Yep. Anywho. Also, I think that's a simplistic response to that. And anyways, the will. <laughs> yes. It's it's more easy to write a meme about a simplified version of a very complex really like weird basically our entire structure of existence yep anywho continue so um yes so basically these rude penal laws were um repealed in like the 1820s but the anti-catholic bigotry was still very much a thing and still is frankly no one has known suffering like the catholics (laughs) no one Um, industrialization was also booming in big cities in England, but most of Ireland at this time is still living like kind of in like a peasant society with mostly a cashless economy. Okay. Interesting. However, ever like they got integrated into Great Britain and like their parliament in the 1800s, AKA they were kind of like turned into more of a colony. Mm. Uh, so that meant that trade barriers were removed which was good for some people, but then it also meant that traditional rural jobs like spinning and weaving became obsolete because people could just like import stuff from the big city instead. Cool. So like a real garbage fire time. It's just like, it's, it's a transition time, like out of peasantry, but still with people living like peasants. Again, nobody wants to be part of a transition. Nobody wants to be a precedent. I never want to be a precedent. Uh, So land ownership and tenancy plays a huge role and it's kind of all precedented on what we've just talked about, but it's also going to be a main, like the reason that this all happens. So the system is pretty complicated, but from my understanding, it's like also just basically feudalism. So you've got in like the 1800s, which is crazy. Like the mid-1800s, that's not that long ago. So you've got a rich Protestant landowner who probably doesn't live in Ireland who's at the top, and he makes uh, his money by renting his land to wealthy farmers. And they act as middlemen, and in order to make more money for them, they divide the land into smaller and smaller parcels and then sublet it at increased rent to super poor Catholic families. Mm. These poor farm tenants uh, made up about 24% of land holdings in Ireland and were known as cottiers. They paid their rent by working a certain number of days for their employer and landlords on their farm. So it's basically like, you're not making money, you're just paying your labor, which... It's subsistence living. It's subsistence living. This is all... And that's what creates these problems. And sorry, just to confirm, when they're paying, like, they're making their rent from this, it's their, like, room and board. So, like, they're getting their food as well. Is that correct or no? Um, It's hard. Like, I didn't really get too much into the economics. I think some people, basically, it's like you i think most of the people worked the land and so like they had this farm area that like they farmed the land and then they had like a small personal plot where they planted potatoes and that's what they ate and everything else just went to rent okay interesting okay i think some people did get actual money for it um so one historian i read put it into perspective where it was Okay, what did they say? Quote, if we assume five pounds as the cost of a cabin, turf, garden, and an acre of unmanured potato ground, the laborer would have to work for 200 days at the higher rate, which is about six pennies a day, or a virtually impossible 300 days at the lower rate to pay the rent. Oof. 
because their rent that they're paying is basically and for their land that's like one maybe five acres if they're lucky it's the rent is five times more than what the middleman pays to the main landlord oh my god (laughs) and then to make things extra unfair and upsetting these plots of land were often farms that the families like these catholic families owned generations ago but then were then taken from them back in like the cromwell times (laughs) of course they were of course (laughs) okay (laughs) so what is being grown on all these tiny plots of land the reason for the season and this podcast which is potatoes (laughs) so the thing about potatoes is that they actually grow super well in wet irish climates and in like just shitty fields in general which is great for the cottiers because that's what they have is because i would assume that these parcels that they're being given are not like prime pieces of like agricultural (laughs) land they're not just like yeah this is super well maintained great nutritional like soil content blah 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 no and it's probably like when they're not just farming potatoes they're probably just growing the same thing over and over again like leaching all of the nutrients from the super like it's yeah it's one of those um but the thing that i didn't actually realize about potatoes is that they're actually like really nutritious yeah i think i did know this and it's something like oh maybe you have the actual stat but i feel like i read somewhere that it's like if you eat like a diet full of potatoes you're getting like a pretty high percentage of your necessary vitamins yeah yeah so they've got a lot of vitamin c Mm. which i guess is why like sailors would have them on ships so that they didn't get scurvy and then the starches are also good so it's basically there's a quote that i kind of kept seeing everywhere is that it is the only single cheap food that can support life as a sole diet oh interesting so yeah you could eat potatoes as your entire diet and be like mostly okay this is very reassuring <laughs> as that's basically what i'm doing anyways perfect yeah yeah this is the this is the reason for my fry existence <laughs> So because of this and because of Monty Python-esque jokes we could make about Catholics and condoms, uh, the (laughs) Irish population almost doubled between 1791 to 1841. Wow. Yeah. And then... A good starch given them energy. (laughs) Yes! There were so many quotes and stuff where people were like, like the Irish like farm folk were way taller than the English who were like actually kind of malnutrition, like malnourished because they just ate bread so interesting Mm -hmm. especially because i feel like bread isn't necessarily like super devoid of nutrition like i feel like that's one of the things that in our bread episodes we learned that it like it does have quite a bit of like the vitamins that you would think you would like they'd be helpful for growth obviously it's not a full balanced diet but like interesting the potatoes are significantly better potato bread then would be the (laughs) real goat yes i love a potato bread the best of both worlds Mm. the miley cyrus of foods (laughs) we need to use that way more often it's my favorite it's my new yeah (laughs) um okay so what is a problem with population growth however especially when you live on an island you run out of land real fast Mm -hmm. and it's like that thing with the what is it like the coyotes and the rabbits or something like that it's like the populations will always grow like in relation to each other and then decrease in relation to each other like you can only have so many predators and so much prey you can only have so many irish and so many plots of land yes i think that there's something i don't want to say eugenicist but there's something semi like problematic and that actually isn't right about that oh i'm sure there's no thinking I can't remember the philosopher who does that. And there was another thing I read that's like, the population growth theory is fake. But at the same time, like, 
you can't have a population growing so much when everyone is like already subsistence living on tiny plots of land. Like you run, like it's no, exactly. it is unsustainable. Lots more babies, lots more people. They not only need more food, but they also have less land to farm and therefore less opportunity to make a livable income. The good news is that potatoes grow super fast and take up way less land than wheat. It's about three times less for the same yield. Mm. Potatoes were grown for food and everything else a family farmed was sold to help pay their inflated rents. Mm. In 1845, right before the famine, potato acreage totaled 2 million. So there's 2 million acres. That's potatoes. That's so wild. That same year, 60% of the Irish food supply was potatoes, with the poorest Irish people subsisting almost exclusively on potatoes. What would the rest of the people be eating just out of curiosity? I mean, if you're richer, like you, like I'm sure that they ate a lot of potatoes, but you also have like meat, you have like milk, you can have bread. Like it's more of a varied diet, whereas Mm. because you can have just potatoes is your diet that's literally all they eat so that's when you get to this whole oh all the potatoes are dying just eat something else it's like no no there is nothing else that was i think what I, kind of what i was getting at though like are there other crops being grown in this like area or is it almost exclusively like 99 percent potatoes basically well it's what is it it's i don't know the percentage but yeah it's mostly potatoes mm. and then the thing i think also is it's just you could grow something else, but it's more expensive and you're not going to have as much. Like, it's just... Yeah. And if you're, like, spending your time growing carrots, like, those aren't going to give you the same kind of nutritional, like, boost that you would be getting from them anyways. And they don't grow as fast. No. And they take up more land. Like, it's just... The, the other thing is, this worked totally fine for so long. Like, this is a total monoculture. Like, mm. their entire existence like most of the people alive at the time of the famine like adults had only grown up eating potatoes and farming potatoes what a time yeah what a beautiful beautiful time um most of the potatoes that they were growing were all the same variety they're all called lumpers (laughs) which are a less nutritious but very high yield form um the other thing about potatoes that's important is that they're, the way that their harvest season works is that for July and August, it's referred to as the potato gap because the, that's when they're like growing and I don't know, there's basically no food in July and August. Oh. And so they are like the, these farmers are kind of used to it so that during those two months, they kind of, their nutrition goes down. They don't have a ton of food. But it also, like, they're also not, like, working as hard because there's nothing to harvest. Hmm, interesting. And they're tired. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But there's some things I read that said that that plays into this idea of, like, Irish people as being lazy. Because they're not working for two whole months out of the year. It's so insane that those are the things that we're, like, gonna label someone for. It's like, I feel like every European country just takes the summer off, and yet we got mad issues with the Irish just, like, having a break while there's literally nothing to do and nothing to eat. Yes. Cool, 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 cool. It's just, like, leave the peasants alone. Yeah, that's the new uh, tagline for this podcast. (laughs) Um, Okay, so let's talk about the blight itself. So the fungus that caused the famine is called... Phytophthora 
infestans. Mm. And it was likely introduced to Europe from North American guano cargo in early 1845. What's guano cargo? Guano is uh, like bird poop. Ew. It's the scientific word. I think that they were using it as like manure. Oh. Guano politics is maybe something we should get into. Ah, yes, indeed. Hmm, intriguing. Yes. So the blight uh, started by attacking the leafy, above-ground potato plant. And then when the farmers dug up the potatoes themselves, they looked, like, pretty normal at first, but soon turned black and slimy. Ew. Yeah, super gross. Um, But because crop failure is basically just part of farming, and as I teased earlier this wasn't the first time that there had been a bout of blight there had actually already been 14 potato famines in ireland between 1816 (laughs) and 1842 that's awful but it's just like that's just kind of part of farming it's just like yeah sometimes the crops don't work out so basically everyone who's farming was just like oh like this sucks but it'll be fine by next season did they have reserves in any way, shape, or form? Like, how were these people who were subsisting exclusively on potatoes feed themselves? Um, yeah, they don't. That's the thing. That's why they, like, starve in July and August, is because you can't keep potatoes that long. And they don't have, like, fridges. No, of course. But, like, if you have an entire year of no crop, like, nobody's going an entire year with no food. Oh. And yet? <laughs> oh, God. I guess the thing is, it's, like, the crops never fail like a hundred percent. And even here, like, I guess like there's always a couple, like the, not everything gets bad, mm. but like enough where you, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's so sad. So yeah, they're just like, oh, like 1846, it'll be fine. <laughs> Except it was way worse. Part of the reason was because they had used the infected potatoes as seeds, which is how you plant potatoes. Ooh. But basically when you're using like potatoes that already are like full of fungus, the they're just growing full of fungus. Ugh. Disgusting. So not only was there not enough for people to eat, there wasn't enough to feed the animals because that's what they would feed their peels and scraps. So even if like they could have eaten a pig or something, the pigs were probably like dying or like not mm. bad enough. And then hunger wasn't the only problem because malnutrition leads to just increases in other diseases like scurvy, cholera, typhoid. So now you're dealing with like epidemics of disease on top of the fact that literally nobody's eaten. (laughs) Cool. Super fun vibes. Super fun. So what did the enlightened British government do to help the people that they are calling British? Um, P, uh, British Prime Minister Robert Peel attempted to send relief by purchasing maize from the U.S., but he didn't <laughs> really buy enough to replace the amount of sustenance lost with potatoes, partially, again, because everyone was like, it'll only last a year. But then there were other problems, first of which Irish farmers, as I mentioned, most of them had only grown up with potatoes their entire lives and had no idea how to cook maize. And they didn't even have, like, utensils to do it if they had known. Like, they don't have an oven. Like, the thing about maize is you have to, as we talked about in our corn episode, like, it's not an easy food to just cook. Mm -mm. Oh my gosh. Then, to make matters worse, any instructions that were given on, like, here's how to cook maize were only printed in English. 
which a large portion of West and South Ireland didn't understand or just straight up couldn't read because illiteracy is like super high. Oh my god, this is just the rudest way of like, here you go, sucks to suck. It's Here's our shitty solution that you can't access. Bye. But it's like, and like, we'll get into this later too, but it's like, it's not on purpose. It's just that like, literally, these English lords who make up the parliament are like, just have no idea. It's like, well, but of course they speak English. They're English subjects. It's like, but. It's good to see that so much has changed since and everybody's really in touch with the people now. <laughs> It gets worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the most of the people were too poor to for to afford the already subsidized, very cheap maze. Ugh. Good God! <laughs> uh, Robert Peel also signed his own political death warrant by forcing the markets to lower the price of English corn. So, like, because England grew corn as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he was like, "No, no, like you have to make it cheap so that." these poor people can like afford it and there's not like a food shortage because the food shortage was also affecting like the rest of Mm -hmm. like England. Um, But of course by forcing people to lower their prices, all of the rich like English stock dudes were really pissed and voted him out in 1846. Oh dear. And lowering those prices of corn also did nothing because again, people can't afford it. Like, it doesn't matter if something costs a penny if you don't have a penny. <laughs> yeah, the only way you've ever fed yourself is by just, like, growing potatoes and eating them, like, for free, like, subsistence. So basically, it's useless. Um, the dude who took over for Peel was Lord John Russell, and he was basically just, like, a pawn put in power by the rich dudes who were mad at Peel. That's His- shocking. <laughs> His whole parliament believed in a laissez-faire economy. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. Yeah, they had this whole, like, bootstraps. If you get people working, then they will have more money to spend, and the economy will just fix itself kind of attitude, which, like, in the best of times is not a thing, and it certainly was not a thing when people were, like, subsistence living. And, like, yeah, no. It's really interesting when people say, like, a laissez-faire economy of them, like, let them do, like, let's just let it run itself out. It's like, no, you've already made so many, like, concrete decisions that are impacting how everything goes. Instead, you're just not going to take responsibility for those. Super cool. Yes. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Ugh. Uh, So, okay, but they didn't, they didn't do nothing. They, um did this thing where the government provided loans for public works, which was meant to like create jobs and raise wages and blah, 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 like rhetoric, rhetoric. But is anyone going to hire these poor Irish Catholic peasants that don't know how to do anything but farm? Um, I mean, I guess some people did. And it's like, I guess you had to hire people. Like, I don't really know the logistics of the public works, Mm -hmm. but they were basically set up to fail because most of the money just like went to, paying back like favors for all like their political cronies oh god and then what was left over like just wasn't enough to like pay people a bootstrap pull-upable wage like it's it's a relief effort that didn't actually earn people enough to afford the relief food it was created to help them pay for oh my god just like so poorly managed it's just like it's just so dumb and i 
I just, like, and again, maybe this is why I should never be in any sort of power ever, but my, like, solution to this is always just, like, the people are hungry. Why don't we just give them the food? Like, that's the solution. It's not so convoluted as, like, let's just, like, it's just fix it. Yes. I mean, and I guess technically Peel tried to do that with, like, the maze, but it's all just, like, it's all like weird like political back dealings and it's based in such like ignorance of the actual mm-hmm. situation um one group did actually send actionable relief weirdly enough which was the society of friends aka the quakers oh yeah it's actually oh. bless the quakers you know, it's kind of cute <laughs> I always forget that the Quakers are real people. I just think they're like that guy on the oats. Yes, 100% we think it's the guy on the oats. I don't really know what the Quakers are, but I feel like they're like what looks to be the most sketchy meth house ever, but it's like a Quaker meeting place, you know, in the corner of 70th and like Oak. Yes. Yeah. I'm always like, what goes on in there? I've never seen a soul. I need to know. I mean, you could go. Isn't the thing about, like, a Quaker service where everyone just, like, sits in silence until you're, like, moved to speak, and then you just, like, say whatever comes to mind and then sit back down? I have no idea, but that sounds exactly like how I like to live my life. I feel like I only know that through the television show Fleabag. I never watched it. I probably should. <gasps> yes, you I know I'd love it. I was actually thinking today about how little television I've actually watched recently, and it's a tragedy. That's good for you, actually, I guess. I hate Although I'm it. sorry that you don't, haven't had the time. I just want to sit quietly and watch a show, and instead I just don't. <laughs> I just sit loudly. <laughs> the Friends. Society of Friends. Um, in April of 1847, the U.S. warship Jamestown landed in Cork in Ireland, carrying 800 tons of famine relief supplies valued at around $40,000. What's uh, that today? Okay. At zero. <laughs> That is <laughs> okay. No. Yes, I did not look that up. Nah. Uh, which and it was basically a really awesome grassroots relief shipment, and it was amassed mostly by the Central Relief Committee of the Society of Friends, as well as as well as Irish Americans, and I can only imagine like a handful of rich white ladies in Boston who are breathlessly <laughs> worrying about like the poor Irish children. God bless white women who have time to care. I mean, yeah, in this one instance, it worked. Yep. Other times trash, but here. <laughs> yeah. The article I read about it described the American relief response as, quote, unprecedented in its generosity and scale, prompted by a complex mixture of fraternalism, public duty, and charitable obligation closely linked to religious sentiment that appears to have superseded, temporarily at least, any existing negative sentiment against the Irish in the United States. So, like, yay! That is kind of nice. And, like, ugh, those are the kind of moments where you're like, oh, yes, America, look at you getting involved in a good way. Like, why couldn't you just follow that sort of an example for the rest of your lives? Yeah, I feel like, I don't know. I'm gonna speak out of turn, but, like, 1840s, America was, like, they're they're doing some things, right? Maybe. Ooh, super controversial. (laughs) Easy to say as a woman who would have been a rich Boston lady if you were there. Oh no, it's true. Yep. Um, Yes, but basically what I love about that quote is it's just like, yeah, they stopped being racist for a moment because they 
because of religion. Oh, they just stopped being racist against the Irish. Let's make sure we're very clear about that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyone guess. else? Fucking no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, the shipment <laughs> was a huge help. Uh, but the American famine relief efforts didn't extend past 1847, a fact that the article I was reading linked less to donor fatigue or lack of resources, and much more to a slow reawakening of the uh, that xenophobia. Ah, delicious. When it became very clear that America was poised for a massive influx in Irish immigration. Cool. Yeah, it's so dark. So, frankly, it's so American. It's, like, it's so Take our food, clothes, you poor, struggling. Wait, you're all moving here now? Like, no, no, get the fuck back. Get back. Ugh. Trash. Uh, So, yeah, basically, 1847 was a pretty tough time. um, Because not only was, like, any substantial relief drying up, but uh, the assistant secretary to the treasury and all-around super dick who was somehow put in charge of Ireland, Sir Charles Trevelyan, his name sounds mean. Uh, he decided that the famine was over. Oh, good. Glad you've made that call, sir. He was just like, yeah, we're good. Solved it. And like just stopped all governmental aid. Oh my fucking God. Uh, which meant that Ireland now had to operate on a poor law system. Which, like, I, I don't really understand. But it seems like it's basically like anyone who's in arrears on their rents or debts basically just had to go to a workhouse in order to attempt to pay everything off. Wow. Like like full Charles Dickens. That's so horrible. It is. And it's one of those things that gets, like it's a trickle down or trickle up like stress because the threat of the workhouse was also looming for the middlemen if they didn't pay the rents because the people who were like their depending on for the five times inflated rent that they're paying. So then they can pay the dudes who actually own the land. If they're all in a workhouse and starving. It's just like the whole thing is just so bullshit. The economy is absolutely fake. Nobody (laughs) should be doing this shit. I hate it so much. Yeah. Nobody was profiting off this time. So it's like, we can feel like screw you like middlemen who kind of like. Oh, it's never the middlemen. That's the problem. I mean, like they're part of it, but like, it's always the top bitches yeah yeah it's all bad um but they didn't really handle things with compassion there were a lot of stories of landlords pulling the roofs off of their tenants houses while they were out to forcibly dehouse them that's so awful it's so messed up um but then the nicer question mark way that they got rid of their backgoing tenants was by offering to pay for their passage to canada or the u.s that's so awful too. Like, I mean, it, yes, it seems nice, but it's like no. have fun in this brand new country. Enjoy cutting trees down or like being poor over there. Like, let's make it someone else's problem. And yeah, and it just like reminds me of that time when wasn't it like the mayor of Manitoba, whoever got uh, found out for paying homeless people to like get a bus to Vancouver, and he was like, oh. "We've cleaned up homelessness." And it's like you just sent them away. That's so fucked. I did not know about that. Oh, yeah. It's real messed up. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing, too, is that, like, if you, like, in general, like, keep 
a certain amount of like struggling people in every kind of area, you can as a community look after them instead of like mounting it all in one place and being like, haha, Ireland, the whole is in the shits now. Yeah, or it's just like, only these people are the problem. Let's just get rid of them and everything will be fixed. It's like, that's, no, you're only as strong as a society as your, like, like, weakest members. Yeah, Yeah. and like, or like, most vulnerable. Yes, yes, that's Mm -hmm. the word. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but a lot of people took that offer, uh, which we'll get to in a second. But the way that they kind of did sort of finally kind of sorted out uh soup kitchens were set up around the country which had the brilliant idea of just like giving the poorest people free soup what an idea (laughs) it's like oh you can't you have no money or food here here is food absolutely insane yeah it saved so so many lives until like a 1851 when i guess like the crops got better and everyone kind of moved on and it did just sort of sort itself out but <laughs> yes sort itself over however many people starved to death and were like forcibly removed from their homes cool yeah, all told three million ah delightful um okay so fallout if the famine can be said to be responsible for one thing besides about a million deaths it's torching what little amity there was between irish nationals and the english Yes, I'm sure that was going to go super well in terms of their relations. Yeah, you know. Oh boy. They started from such a great place, they could only go up. <laughs> um, but the ma- it was those mass evictions, uh, also referred to as the clearances, Ooh. which arguably dealt the greatest famine-related blow to the relationship, especially for the Irish diaspora. Popular journa- journalist T.P. O'Connor writing in 1886, which is about 34 years after this is all over, said, quote, To this day, the traveler in America will meet Irishmen who were evicted from Ireland in the great clearances of the famine time, and they speak, even to this hour, with a bitterness as fresh as if the wrong were but of yesterday. Oof. Good quote. Yeah. It's like, and you know what? As you fucking should. Yeah, of course. <laughs> If somebody kicked me out of my house 30 years later, I'd still be riled. Uh-huh. And, like, not only kicked me out, but, like, shipped me off poor as shit to a foreign country. Yeah. And then, adding insult to injury, as a means of expressing relief after the mass Irish famine exodus, the London Times quoted Virgil, and now I'm gonna hear <laughs> some Latin, Deus nobis haec otio fecit. Which translate to, it is God that has made this life, this peaceful life for us. Whoa, that's the rudest ever. It's so messed up. It was like, obviously, like, not at all surprised, read by the Irish people as the English thanking God for essentially bringing a plague to kill millions and exile the rest. Oh my God. It's very uncool. Also, I'm sorry, but that is literally the most British sentiment ever. It's like, oh, thank God they're finally out of here. It's like, oh, good. Yes. So then we get into this tricky zone where, well, on the one hand, that's super uncool and calling the famine providence and expressing like messed up, classist sentiments in a newspaper. It's it's not the same thing as actively committing genocide, which is how some Irish nationalists have come to view the famine. I mean, I don't think that's necessarily that dramatic. 
it's it's a tricky one so like the belief that this is like that this was a genocide is so strong that according to one article I read about it from 2014, the state of New Jersey, uh, their school system teaches the potato famine as part of its Holocaust and genocide curriculum. Oh my God. That's interesting. I mean, okay, we'll come back to the debate about like whether or not these Lords actually knew what they were fucking doing or if it was just ignorance. And like, it's super easy to claim ignorance and being like, oh, we didn't know that this was going so poorly. We didn't know that when we said, hey, the famine's done after like not the full length of the famine. Mm -hmm. Like, it's easy to describe that to ignorance, but like, really? Are you that stupid? And even if you are, that's not acceptable. You're in a position of power. You have to know better. Yeah. And I think that that's why this is so tricky because I think, yeah, a lot of British people wanted to get rid of the poor Catholic Irish peasants. And they were certainly very welcoming of the famine as a happenstance, like a a providence kind of way to do it. But I just don't think it's the same as like like a systemic like campaign to like wipe people out I don't know I almost feel like is it like on the one hand it kind of diminishes the intense significance of like other genocides yeah but on the other hand if we're viewing this as an exclusively like isolated incident I don't feel like it's incorrect Hmm. but like again comparison is significant as well yeah I think it's it's a tricky one I think it's a very interesting I think it's interesting to bring up in that kind of like, what is, yeah, like, what does it mean to have a genocide? What does it mean to be, uh, yeah, like hmm. a mass extinction of like a race or a population? And what are the, like, what are the borderlines? A lot of the articles I read were just like, no, like, it's a little bit extreme to say this. And a lot of it's kind of fueled by like really intense Irish nationalism, which was, yeah, like, ramping up. And I, it seems to me more like the British were just like super unprepared and apathetic and like kind of held that unfortunate like British upper crust, like Protestant, like if you're poor, it's because you're bad and like God is punishing you (laughs) because you're poor. No, I completely agree. I have recently been told that I'm a bit of an extremist on things. Uh, so I will maintain that I think it's not necessarily incorrect to label it a genocide. But I see what you're saying. Yeah, and I think it's, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's an interesting Also, there were discussion. steps actively taken to make the situation worse and or to get rid of them. Like, they can't have thought to themselves, hey, we're sending you over to North America and that's going to go great and now you're, like, going to be fine. There must have been, like, a, eh, fuck it, they die on route, they die on route, they die when they get there, they die when they get there. Like, it's not our problem anymore. And I feel like that's almost enough of a step. Yeah, or there were enough people who were kind of probably, like, willfully ignorant, just being like, no, they're going to have a better life and it's going to be fine and, phew, now I won't have to deal with them anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ugh, trash. Anywho, continue. Um, that's pretty much it. I had like kind of like a last sort of point of discussion. Mm. Um, this quote from, uh, it's night from 1981, uh, poverty and famines. It's Indian economist Amartya Sen, Mm. uh, who discusses the distinction between quote, there being not enough food to eat 
like a famine mm-hmm. phrase, which implies just like scarcity versus people, quote, not having enough food to eat, which implies entitlement or rather a lack of it. Mm-hmm. And how this is just kind of the tragic paradox of a famine where there may be sufficient food in a country, but people still starve because it's not avail- available to them. And that would definitely be like our modern understanding of a famine is that like, even especially in a world that is so incredibly connected as it is these days, like there's no reason that anyone should go hungry, Yeah, but they frequently do. But was it more so the first definition for this one? Because it seems like there just genuinely wasn't enough food in the country. But I think, yeah, like I think part of this then, which I didn't really get into was they were still like exporting a lot of food. Oh, interesting. Like produce and, or not produce, but like there were exports from Ireland at this time as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, rough. yeah, that's a super fun disaster. <laughs> yeah, literally such a disaster. And something like that we're not not going to see, like, again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And, like, as we've mentioned numerous times, like, the calories being produced are not the calories being consumed. And that's, like, pretty fucked. Yeah, and just, like, the concentration of food and wealth mm-hmm. globally is very disproportionate what a fun disaster (laughs) yeah it's i don't know i'm I'm glad that i did this i think it was really interesting to like actually read into all of it and just be like oh yeah like this is a very systemic like terrible it was a terrible time it was a very bad time i'm just glad to know more about it because i genuinely had no idea what was going on with it i was just like yeah there's just not enough potatoes what's the deal also just really highlights the dangers like of monocrops really and like one thing i was reading i don't have like any actual like real facts on this but Mm -hmm. i was reading this thing about how haiti was offered some sort of crop by this genetically modified seed producer or something like Mm -hmm. that and they turned it down and were like absolutely fucking not because this crop or like this seed has been offered to numerous other places when they'd suffered kind of like big issues like the earthquake that happened there or like you know fire flood famine whatever like like droughts yeah yeah exactly thank you droughts was the one i was looking for um but because it's a monocrop or like because it's genetically modified in such a way it basically makes it impossible for other crops to grow in that area so now you're stuck using this one seed and then they jack the price right the fuck up so you're completely dependent on them and like you can't get rid of this seed once it's in there like it's Mm -hmm. fucked your entire like agriculture up so it's just like we shouldn't be doing things like this it's absolutely insane that we just allow one thing to dominate an entire marketplace and like yeah anywho just like capitalism and yeah like invasive species Mm -hmm. wow that's terrible yeah diversify in all ways indeed diversify your portfolio diversify (laughs) your plate (laughs) this morning blake showed me a thing he was like i found this new investment for you and it's where you buy like a portion, like a percentage of a piece of art. I'm very into that. Like you could own like 10% of like a Basquiat. I love that for you. I kind of love it too. The first question I had was, okay, but like, where does this art live? Like, where is it? Well, I would assume it's still in a museum. I, mm, it doesn't say on the website. Well, oh. we didn't look that far yet, but yeah. Oh, so I'm very into works. this. Check it out. Masterworks, hey? Mm-hmm. 
that actually seems like a pretty good investment because art is always going up. Yeah, it's fun. And it's, I feel like it's a, uh, it's fake, but all of everything's fake. So why yeah, not? The economy is fake. Money is fake. <laughs> this is fake. Every, it's a, all a fucking simulation. Who cares? But you know what's real? What? Potatoes. It's so true. God bless those beautiful starchy gods. The tubers. Oh, the tubers. All right. Well, we should probably call it a day. I am legitimately going to go get fries on my way to work. Yes. Highly recommend. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. You can follow us on Instagram at Pantry Staples Pod. Yeah. <laughs> okay, bye. Check out. Maybe we could have some merch you can check. We've got fun phone cases. Oh, we do have fun phone cases. Oh, it's so cute. Um, rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell your foes. <laughs> and we'll talk to you uh, in a little bit. Bye. Bye.